world. It's your past first point guard and Trail Blazers reporter, Mike Richmond. You are listening to another episode of Locked On Blazers, the Locked On Podcast Network, available wherever you get podcasts and also on YouTube. Thanks for making this show your first listen. Free on all platforms. Coming at you Monday through Friday. Available five days a week. So start your weekdays with it. Tell your friends to do the same. It's Locked On Blazers, your team every day. In today's show, we are continuing with our player preview series. This is the sixth installment and the 10th player we've done in our third annual Locked On Blazers countdown to tip off. I'm giving you a brief but thorough rundown of every player on the roster. Look at what they did last season, how they wound up on the Blazers. We'll talk best and worst case scenarios in the second segment. We'll close the show with a discussion of expectations and likely role that they'll play for the Blazers. Uh, if you've missed any of our of our others in the rundown, uh, you can check out your feed. If you're an audio listener, just look for the season preview uh, season preview in the headline. Or if you're a YouTube watcher, there is a playlist that will feature all of your season previews for 22 and 23. Today, we're dominating. Talking all things D.A. That's right, DeAndre Ayton. Last year for the Phoenix Suns. Played 67 games, all starts. 30.4 minutes a night. Average 18 points, 10 boards, 1.7 assists, and just under one block a game at point eight. Shot 58.9% from the floor. 29.2% from three on just 24.3 point attempts. And 76% from the free throw line. Uh, you know, he missed 15 games. The bulk of that was five, he missed five games in January with an ankle injury. Four games in March with a hip issue and sat the final two regular season games. Otherwise, he sat some spot spot minutes here and there. That's 11 of the 15 right there, though, with, the, with those two ankle and hip issue. And then uh, sitting out at the end of the year because Phoenix had their seating wrapped up. Uh, Aiton's season really was like tumultuous to start, kind of tumultuous to finish, but pretty much darn good in the middle. Like the part where he was playing regular season basketball games was, was not Rocky for the most part. Like he was, he was good, uh, by and large good. It's just, it, it ended, it started weird and ended weird for, for DA in Phoenix. It started weird because, uh, the Suns got super duper blasted out of the playoffs um and he so he signs a four-year 133 million dollar offer sheet with indiana he doesn't you know he, he sits that final game of of uh, or sits in at the in the blowout of game seven gets benched to end game seven where they're losing by two two hundred thousand points he goes into free agency restricted free agency after his fourth year in the league uh then the suns they have this opportunity to offer him a five-year max contract and they just don't and so by mid-july no contract is there and he signs a four-year 133 million dollar offer sheet with the pacers and the suns matched immediately like they had more time to wait they matched immediately just like yep okay we're matching and then he revealed that after his first practice that was in the middle of july at the end of september that he hadn't spoken to monty williams since game seven all summer he didn't spoke he hadn't spoken to monty williams he you know just just hadn't talked to the coach um so then the regular season starts, and like I said, it's like generally pretty darn good. He had a 29 and 21 game, just shy of a 30 20 game in against Utah in November. He had five 30 point games, including a career high tying 35 and 15 at Brooklyn in February. 
Like, it was, he was really darn good in the middle, right? It starts weird. He has this contract situation where, like, maybe the Suns don't want to pay him. But then when he gets the offer sheet, they know they absolutely have to. Uh, they didn't want to offer. They had no interest in offering the max, but they didn't want to lose him for nothing. So they made sure they do. Um, then he plays well, generally speaking, plays well during the regular season. And then he gets to the playoffs. And he didn't, you know, he wasn't that bad during the um, during the opening round. But in this in the second round against the, the Denver Nuggets, he struggled against Nikola Jokic. He just, you know, you, there were, you know, a, a highlight of him not chasing down a rebound, just kind of standing and watching it out of bounds. And generally speaking, he got dominated by the best player in the league. It happens. Nikola Jokic rolled through the rolled through everybody like nobody could handle him. Ask the Lakers. They're the Lakers still mad about how much they got beat up by the Nuggets. But like, eight and struggled. And in ten playoff games, he averaged thirteen point four points, nine point seven boards, and shot worse than he did during the regular season from the floor. And he missed the Suns' annual beatdown exit from the playoffs with a rib contusion as the Suns got beat by twenty five and lost in game six. It's what they do. Is how the Suns leave the playoffs. If they leave, they leave. They leave with fireworks. And that was it for Aiden. He sits out game six with the rib injury and the Suns elect to something they'd reportedly wanted to do for years, move on from DeAndre Aiden. They traded him this summer as part of the Damian Lillard deal. In return, they get back Yusuf Nurkic, Nazir Little, and Grayson Allen. It's part of a three-team deal involving the Milwaukee Bucks. You may be familiar with the Damian Lillard deal. So now DA comes to Portland comes to Portland, he's going to be their starting center. He's going to get a chance to spread his wings. He's going to get a chance to be away away from, as I've joked, the shackles of the desert. So what does a best case scenario look like? And what does a worst case scenario look like for DeAndre? And that's what we do in the second segments of these here pre-season, season previews. Uh, we try to set the polls. What can we expect if everything goes right? And if things go wrong, what does the other side of the coin look like? I think DeAndre is going to be productive either way. But let's talk about what the best and worst case scenarios look like in that second segment. But first, I want to tell you about Jace Medical. Everyone should be empowered to care for themselves and their loved ones during the unexpected. That's why Jace Medical offers the Jace case. The Jace case provides five life-saving antibiotics for emergency use and gives you peace of mind so that you're not just hoping you have access to the medication you want and need during an emergency. Jace case makes sure you have that medication in hand. Jace Medical is simple. They handle everything from the online evaluation to get you started to the licensed pharmacy medication delivery to make sure you get those medications and the ongoing consultation and care that you'll need once you have them in hand. So don't get caught unprepared. Instead, get $20 off these life-saving antibiotics today from Jace Medical by using the code Locked on at checkout. That's at jacemedical.com. That's Jace, J-A-S-E, medical.com. All right. So we talked to DA's season, how he wound up on the Blazers after a rocky end to his son's, his son's year, his son's career. Um, the beginning of his, 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 the end of his stint in Phoenix, a rocky end. But he gets a new start. And before we talk about what my expectations for him and sort of obvious role starting center on the Portland Trailblazers, let's talk best and worst case scenarios. What we do in these best and worst case scenarios is talk best case scenario within reason and worst case scenarios without injury. So what is what's what is within reason and what happens 
in between the lines. We're not talking about folks' body breaking down. The best case scenario for DeAndre Ayton is that he averages 23 and 12 with a block and slightly improved playmaking, is that he expands his range a little bit and becomes uh, at least slightly below average three-point shooter. He is an anchor of a decent defense. He continues to be a really awesome player. score in the paint with great touch out to 15 feet with that added little bit of three-point range to make him even more uh, difficult to deal with as a pick-and-pop player and that he's rugged and physical and uses his massive frame and his athleticism to be dominant. That's to be dominating, as he's termed it. That's the best-case scenario. Here's the thing about the best-case scenario for DeAndre Ayton. We've basically seen it. We've seen it. A lot of times what we do here with guys is imagine what they can be. Imagine what this, you know, if they put it all together, this is what they can be. We've seen DeAndre Ayton put it all together at the highest level. During the 2021 playoffs, he was freaking great. He was great. Um, You know, he was physical on the glass. He was a presence as... um, as a defender, he had nights where he didn't score deep into the playoffs, a six-point night deep into the playoffs where he was dominant on the glass and a, a pretty darn good playmaker. Had a 6.5 assist, 18 rebound game uh, in, in the Western Conference Finals. Like, he, he guarded Nikola Jokic incredibly well during the during um, during that stretch. Like, he was just, you know, he was darn good in the NBA Finals, too, and in, in against Milwaukee. Like, the best version, of, the best case scenario for DeAndre Ayton was there two years ago. I think there is reasonable concern that he hasn't re- reached that level again, right? Is that he saw exactly what he needed to be to be a high-level contributor on a really good team, and he has not been back there since in terms of consistent play at that level with that physicality and that force and that defensive impact to go with all of his wonderful offensive skills. But the best-case scenario isn't some idea that you haven't seen or some idea that he can't that he hasn't been. The best-case scenario is that he gets back to what he did for, you know, almost what. Two and a half months in the uh, during an NBA Finals run in 2021. Admittedly, we as we get further away from that, the time matters, right? The distance, like the linear passage of time, matters. But the best case scenario is that he is as productive as he's been on offense each of the last two seasons, where he's like a, you know, you know, 17 and nine, 18 and 10 guy. Like each of the last two seasons, he's continues that level of productivity for the Blazers and with a team that plays faster than the Suns were willing and capable of playing that he adds a couple more points because they're just gonna play um, at a speed that fits his athletic build and fits his style of play and because they're gonna play more up tempo he's gonna grab more rebounds and he's a 23 and 12 guy he's a he's a better shot blocker than he's been with consistency and he just is rugged because he's huge and strong and capable of being that the best case scenario is that the thing that you saw him be at his best he's that more often than he isn't you don't have to i want to say this again when i do this with so many guys it's like well if he becomes a you know, a 25% better playmaker than he's been, and he improves on defense from being awful to pretty good. Then, then maybe you'll you maybe you you see someone who's who's you know a special player, right? That's not that's not the thing with Da. The thing is, if he can get back to the level that he played extremely well on a very 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 good Suns team, if he can get back to that level, 
the following year they won 63 games, get back to that level and and do it for 75 nights, 70 nights for the Portland Trailblazers. That's the best case scenario. The thing about Aiton is that he's so skilled and so talented that the worst case scenario really isn't that far off. The worst case scenario is something like 19 and 10 with a little bit of a roller coaster. And by that, I mean that there are 10 game stretches where you don't really feel Aiden's presence and he shows up in the box score. And if you're not watching closely, it's like he hasn't even been that bad. He's shooting 55% from the field and scoring 20 points. Like what more do you want? But if you do watch closely, you realize that you just don't feel his presence. The worst case scenario is that Aiden is big and that he is allergic to the paint on both ends. He's not going to become less skilled. He's not going to have worse touch. He has incredible touch around the rim. He has a great looking pull-up jump shot from 15 feet that's not going anywhere there's no worst case scenario where he gets diminished skills the worst case scenario is that there are more games when you wish you got more out of him when the consistency of of playing with force and that's the phrase they many in phoenix have used when talking about deandre Ayton, is the consistency of playing with with force it's just up and down. And there's 10-game stretches where you just don't feel him when you, like, the other team doesn't feel him when you watch him. And then he plays five straight games where you're like, oh, yeah, this dude is mega talented. Why don't, why don't we see that every night? The worst-case scenario is that the consistency, which has been the, which has been the, the sort of, criticism that has followed Aiton in each of the last two seasons that his lack of consistency of playing at his peak continues to roll along like I said I think the worst case scenario box score wise for Aiton is like 19 and 10 he'll have some 2020 games he'll have some like he'll probably score you know he'll probably set a career high and even in the worst case scenario for the Blazers this year I bet he sets a career high in scoring has a 38 point night at some point like He's going to be a monster on offense. Like, he's going to be a very, very effective player on offense. I think he's going to be a great pick-and-roll partner with Scoot, even in the worst-case scenario. It's just that the worst-case scenario is that he doesn't do what he does best or do what makes him most impactful often enough to be celebrated and appreciated, and you end up more frustrated with what could be than appreciative of what is. The worst-case scenario is that DeAndre Ayton feels a little bit like Yusuf Nurkic, except he makes layups. <laughs> You'll say, no, this is just Nurk with layups, huh? Hmm. Hmm. I don't love it. Um, they're not that similar of players, but in terms of the the sort of frustration that fans feel, um, it's it's like, hey, we don't always get the best out of him, and when we do get the best out of him, it looks special. And when we and and Aiden's best is much better than Nurk's best. To be clear, I don't I think that's unfair just to throw that that name out there for him because it's because he's really just he's supremely talented on offense. But he's not a dunker, and he's not super physical, and he's not, and he doesn't always bring that physicality on on the defensive end, and that's that's the worst case scenario is that you feel that more often than you want to. Okay, to close the show, I want to talk role and expectations. I think this is the role part is obvious. And the expectations are the curious part, because what do we place? on DeAndre Ayton in a place where I think he wants to be asked to do more. Let's talk about the ask, responsibility, and expectations that come with it 
to close the show. Join me in the third segment, won't you? Still a password point guard. Still Mike Richmond. Still listening to Locked on Blazers. Still rolling through our DeAndre Aiden season preview. DA is going to be good. I I, I I am I truly am not worried about him being like a bad basketball player. Because that's not what he is. I'm also not confused about his role. He's going to start at center. He's going to play 30 to 33 minutes a night. And he's going to get a lot of offensive, um, maybe not responsibility, but involvement. And that seems to be some of his his frustrations with what was going on in Phoenix. That he didn't have enough offensive involvement, and the knock on him was when he didn't get enough offensive involvement, when he was shooting eight times a game, and he doesn't um, he doesn't get to the free throw line very much because he doesn't always play with physicality, so it's like he's getting eight field goal attempts and two free throws. That he didn't bring it on the other end. I don't think that specific thing will show up in Portland. Because he's going to be the centerpiece of a spread pick-and-roll offense run by Anthony Simons and Scoot Henderson with a little bit of Malcolm Brogdon mixed in there. Uh, maybe a medium bit of Malcolm Brogdon mixed in there for a little bit. Uh, and and he's going to... like he's not. They're not going to throw him... 25 post touches a game like he's Kareem Abdul-Jabbar or whatever but he's going to get a lot of of chances to be the roll to the rim lob threat on a team that's probably going to have a decent pick and roll game the role for Aiden's obvious my expectations for him are hard for me to pin down I first of all expect him to be like box score wise solid as heck He's going to be a walking double-double. He's going to average somewhere between 19 and 9 and 20 and 10. Like, I think he's, um, you know, maybe even like 24 and 12. I think he's had the best case scenario is 23 and 12. So, yeah, it's like he's, he's, he's going to be, um, box score-wise, I'm not worried about him. And my expectations are that he's going to be very, very, very productive because he's really skilled. But he's, he's getting this chance that he is asked to to spread his wings. And in some ways, that puts less pressure on you. And in some ways, it is it is the it is a more pressure on you to seize this opportunity, right? Um, it is some players do better with more. You put more on their plate, they are able to do more. Some players thrive with less. It seems that DeAndre Ayton very specifically does not thrive with less. But does he do better with more? That has been a curiosity of mine. I am pretty darn excited about the DeAndre Ayton experience. Um, I think he was a worthwhile gamble. I think he was an interesting centerpiece of the Damian Lillard exchange, because that's really what it was, right? Was that the Blazers found that, you know, got a got a agreement with the Suns and said, okay. We're gonna, you're gonna be the piece we get back for Dame. We'll figure out the rest, right? And the rest was Drew Holiday, which was a, a piece that they flipped. But the like the player that they were gonna keep and be part of the like when they made the Dame trade, whatever it was gonna finalize, be finalized and look like was gonna be DeAndre Ayton, right? Like even if they had made a deal with um, that team in, in South Florida, um, who I will spare you from naming specifically, like DeAndre Ayton would have been the player they kept and would have been the centerpiece of this trade. 
And I think he's a worthwhile gamble as a centerpiece. He's young. He's really productive. He's highly skilled. Like I said, I'm, I'm not worried about his skills. What's it, what is his skills? What are his skills going to? What are his skills going to go? They're not going anywhere. He'll get better. Probably get better. He's he's entering his physical prime. He's probably um you know heading into the best seasons of his career over the the next you know three to four seasons. He's probably going to rock. I'm excited to watch him. The question is, and it won't be answered this year, is can he be the a defensive anchor on a good team? Because if you're a center in the NBA, you need to be a defensive anchor. You need to be a defensive anchor. The guy who's not a defensive anchor, who's a good center in the NBA, is Nikola Jokic, and he's the best offensive player in the league, and he's not even bad on defense. He, the perception of him is that he's bad on defense, but he's just not. He's not. He, it seemed like he was always going to get picked on on defense, and he just, it just hasn't turned out that way particularly in high-level games. You can't pick on 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 Jokic. Is he somewhat limited on that end? Sure, sure, but he's not bad. So, but every other, like, good center in the league is a defensive anchor. And that's the question for Aiton that won't be answered this year. In fact, that's, I don't even have expectations for him to be like, anchor a top eight defense in the league. Like, that's silly. That's a silly thing to ask of this specific Blazer team. Improve on defense is certainly a, a, a worthwhile goal. But like, that sort of high level winning is just like not where this roster and this franchise is at right now. I'm excited to watch him because I think he's going to be really, really fun. Um, I think he's going to, I think he's going to catch a lot of lob dunks, which is going to be a weird thing to watch someone in a Blazer uniform do. Um, I think they're going to run... And I want to talk about this. The Blazers are heading into the... I think that what they're, what they're going to run for DeAndre Ayton. I think this is this is curious, right? This, to me, is 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 an interesting part of the of the puzzle piece that is Ayton. Often still going to be very guard-oriented, right? Scoot, Ant, Shea, Malcolm Brogdon... Malcolm Brogdon's nickname is the President. It's not even shorter than his name, Malcolm. Prez, uh, but like, it's gonna be guard. It's still gonna be perimeter oriented. It's not. That's not. It's not gonna shift to be a, a DeAndre Ayton centric team, and it shouldn't. Um, it's hard to. It's hard to um, win in the NBA in a steady diet of post ups. But the Blazers, uh, you're listening to Tuesday, October 10th show. And this evening, they play the New Zealand Breakers in their first preseason action. Be interested to see what they run for Aiden. Do they run post-ups to get him going? Something that, that Chauncey Phillips would do a lot for Yusuf Nurkic. Early in the game, a post-up. for Usually the first possession of the game, a clear-out post-up for Nurk to get him a touch. Do they do that kind of thing? A little carrot for him. How often does he get straight direct five post-ups? Um, or do they wait until he has a mismatch and ask him to go punish little guys for switching? And what? how do they work the whole half-court offense? The Blazers want to run, 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 which is a good idea, but it's not something you can do on even half of your possessions, right? You're going to have to play half-court basketball. And they are going to be a little bit light on shooting pretty much with most of the lineups they put in there. You know, Matisse Thibel shot really well for the Blazers when he played. And if he continues to shoot 39% from three, we will, I will not say that they're light on shooting. I'll say that they have some good shooters on the wing. Uh, we'll just, 
will I will be happy to come back and 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 circle back on that one later on. But how teams guard Scoot Henderson, who is not going to be considered a high-level shooter early in his career, will affect how the pick and roll happens. It'll affect how help defense happens. It'll affect everything. How do they get DeAndre Ayton going? And how does the offense the the what actions do they run for him beyond just like spread it out, you know, to, you know, everyone else on the wings, somebody in the strong side corner, to other guys on the weak side and run angle pick and rolls or mid pick and rolls for Scoot and DeAndre Ayton. What are, what are interesting wrinkles to use Ayton's mid range shooting? What are, um, you know, he's not a really, he's not much of a playmaker, has not been much of a playmaker in his career. How do they, how do they get him where he can be a dribble handoff guy, um, you know, but, you know, isn't asked to make high level reads, what do they, how do they use him heading into this first preseason game? And I want this to be evergreen, so I'm not going to talk too much about the preseason game, but uh, heading into this first preseason game, the actions that, that Aiden uses and when they go big, I don't think they're going to play it a lot, but they're going to go big for stretches when he plays with Rob Williams. Is Aiden the one, and I think he will be, is Aiden the one that spaces? Is he the one that stands in the corner? And when he stands in the corner, is he an active participant in offensive rebounding? Does he sprint back in transition? Um, or is he just someone who chills in the corner because now you're playing too, a weird too big lineup and that's where they ask you to stand? The chess match of how to utilize and best utilize DeAndre Aiden is something that it will be fascinating for me to track all during the preseason and all during the regular season because what they do with him and how they... He's going to do... They're going to... He's going to get more than he got in Phoenix. It's what he wants. And the Blazers are going to... They're going to play... You know, Scoot is a guy who loves to pass. And you play with a... You roll with a guy who loves to pass. You're going to get opportunities. Um, I, I think how they... What the more looks like for DeAndre Ayton. It's going to be really fun. I think he's going to be good. Like, I think he's going to be good. I am higher on Ayton now as I kind of think about what how this team is constructed than when the trade went down. Um, do I think he's going to, like, flirt with an All-Star game this season? No, no. But I think he's going to be... It's just too hard to make the All-Star team in the West. Um, it's it's it, it would be silly to bank on it. Um, but I think he's going to be really good. And I think he's going to be better. I think he's going to have... I'll put a stamp on it right now as we close the show. I think DeAndre Ayton's going to have the best season of his career in his first season in Portland. The bigger and biggest questions come down the line next season and beyond for DeAndre Ayton. But in year one, how they use him and how he does with more on his plate is the most fascinating part. I think he's ready for it. Um, I don't think he's going to be like... I don't think we're seeing going to see some transformation, but I truly believe that getting out of a situation that you were unhappy, that you weren't totally wanted and and by the team, and you feel that, the fresh start of a place where you are totally wanted for someone as talented as him can unlock some stuff. I think there's a little bit more to DeAndre Ayton's game than we've seen, and I think the Blazers are primed to get more out of him. I'm excited for the dominating experience. Maybe not excited for all the slogans, but I'm excited for the um, Aiton-based jokes that I will read on the internet. Uh, and all the and he seems like a kind of a goof, and so I'm excited for his goofiness. Um, particularly if um, this season has some uh, has some tough stretches. If DeAndre Aiton can keep it light, I will really appreciate it. Okay, come back tomorrow. Guess what? Blazers play a basketball game tomorrow. A basketball game. New Zealand Breakers, preseason game. I'm going to watch it. I'm going to talk about it here on the podcast.
Does that sound good? We'll talk about the first game we've seen them play in the post-Damian Lillard era and all that comes with a preseason game. Um, does it count? No, not even in the preseason standings, but it'll be um, an interesting, a really interesting first look. I'm excited. They play again Thursday against Phoenix. Um, is that the only time we're going to see them play a real game all preseason? Hmm. Or will it come Saturday in their third preseason game as a true dress rehearsal? Certainly won't be the last one, but this week... They're playing hoops, and I'm talking about it. So tell your friends about the show, and then come back and listen. I appreciate you listening. I'll talk to you soon.